We're going to be studying and reading the book of Revelation again, and uh, I looked back on my records, and it's about five years ago when I last uh, preached through Revelation, and so I think that there's a chance, I know this seems a little crazy, that you've forgotten what I've said. Uh, so at the very least, uh, uh, we're going to uh, have a few reminders, uh, but I will write all new sermons for this series. This isn't a take a couple months off for me, um, even though I'm not sure that you guys would tell. But we'll keep uh, writing uh, fresh ones so that it's speaking to me, and I think that it will continue to speak towards you through the work of the Spirit. And so there are uh, several ways that you can read the book of Revelation. Uh, it's an ancient book, and so some people have the perspective that uh, that you really can't read the book of Revelation, that it's just all of the illustrations, all of the metaphors, all of the colors and numbers and whatnot, that it's just too far removed for us that uh, we, we just really shouldn't read it, read it. Or it's a confusing book, it's not worth the effort. Uh, we read through the entire Bible this year, and, and then uh, there's a couple of troubling spots. Like there's Leviticus, it's like, man, you've got to trudge through all of these things. And then uh, Chronicles and all of the genealogy, that gets a little monotonous. The New Testament, man, that thing just flows. And then you hit Revelation, it's just like, oh, good grief. What do we have going on here? Uh, but some look at the book then. Uh, you know, there's either the opinion, one end of the pendulum is that it's so lost on us, there's nothing there for us, why read it? The other pendulum, uh, it swings towards uh, that it's a book filled with codes, and if you crack the right codes, then you can receive this special message, special revelation from God. And no one's ever sold books explaining that, ever, right? Uh, so, um, or then there's another pers perspective, is it's to tell how the world is going to end. So raise your hand if that's pretty much, that's how you've heard it talked about, the book of Revelation. Well, I'd like to throw a hand grenade at all of that and just say that's not anywhere close to what we're going to do. The book of Revelation is at least three things. It's a pastoral letter written to the first century churches. Uh, if you look at the, what Paul did, Paul wrote a letter to the churches to encourage them, to rebuke them, to remind them to stay faithful to Christ. And throughout the book of Revelation, you will see it read like a letter written to a specific group of churches that is giving them encouragements and rebuke challenge, calling them to faithfulness in Christ. It's also, and, and here's where the, the, that makes sense. If the whole thing was a letter, we wouldn't need all of the explanations and all, all these other things. Like, uh, but it's not just a pastoral letter. It's also in the genre of apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature was popular in the 2nd uh, B.C., 2nd century B.C., 2nd and 1st century B.C.'s. And then in the first and second, and I don't know if it gets all the way to the third century A.D. So right around the time of Jesus, apocalyptic literature is the most popular it's, uh, it ever was, and that's when it was being used. And apocalyptic literature is a way of using imagery and metaphor to convey a message. And that's part of what uh, Revelation is. It's metaphor. It's... it's um, a lot like, to me, it's a lot like our uh, fictional 
literature that we have that uses imagery. I think the best example is like Tolkien, uh, Lord of the Rings sort of stuff, good and evil. There's all of this different imagery going on. So part of the task is understanding when the imagery is talking about something that is good and something that's evil. It's understanding the imagery. So part of what we're going to do together, as I can already see you guys are so thrilled and excited, is we're going to figure out some of the imagery and understanding so that we can best understand what did this mean to the first century world. And once we understand that as best as we can, then I think we can talk about what it means for us today. We also uh, have in the book of Revelation, uh, uh, it's prophetic. And when we use the word prophetic, and I've said this over and over again, and I think it bears repeating, is that when we talk about prophecy, we often think it's forward thinking and we're going to reveal something about the future. Well, most prophecy is more about talking towards the present. It is about saying hey, if you continue down this path, rebelling against God, there will be a punishment. It's saying, it's speaking truth in the moment, more often than not. It's not about, like 10% of the prophecy in Scripture is forward thing, and the majority of the prophets, if you look at them, it's like, hey guys, turn it around now so that we don't have this happen in the future. And so, Revelation is part letter to the church encouraging them we see this in chapters two and chapter three and again i forget where uh off the top of my head and then we have apocalyptic and we have prophetic now the important thing is when we pick it up is to read it the right way when you read uh an autobiography you read an autobiography in a certain way um, if you read, I don't read those, but if you did, that would be something you would do. And then if you were picking up, say, uh, uh, a nonfiction or a fictional story, you're going to read that completely different. So part of it is understanding when you pick up the book of Revelation, you might be in three sort of different genres all in the same book. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion and a lot of the uh, sort of frustration happens uh, with reading the book. But I believe uh, the book of Revelation is timeless. It is a book that is vital for the churches and our faith in Christ. It's not easy, and we'll trudge through it and get through it, um, but here's how we're going to read it. The way we're going to read it is with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. We're going to fix our eyes on the one who is enthroned in heaven. We're not going to worry about who's who, and the thrones of the earth. John's point is about fixing our eyes on Christ and subsequently our hearts being fixed upon Christ. So many modern interpretations, they grab a hold of this book and they make it say what they want to about the people they oppose. So if they don't like someone, then you know what they say? They're the Antichrist, right? <laughs> the Antichrist becomes whoever they, they uh, oppose. And so for us as interpreters, we will be driven with our mind focused on the Lordship of Christ. When I'm in the car driving down the road, I like to do a little channel surfing every once in a while. And every once in a while you can hit a good sermon. There's, uh, there's Ravi Zacharias as a guy I liked. 
there's Alistair Begg is a good guy. He's got the uh, accent. You know, it's nice to... Irish preachers are the best. If I could fake it well, I would do it. Um, but it, it ends up bouncing between Australian, British, and it gets a little messy, honestly. Um, crikey, I got away from my notes. Um, but sometimes on the radio channel, thank you, Jason, uh, sometimes the radio channel surfing, you land with some of the crazy preachers. You know who they are. Uh, but it's like Conspiracy Theories 101, Bible edition. Often they've cracked the code, they can uh, read the newspaper, they can listen and watch the news, and they open up their Bibles and they can discern with incredible ability uh, all the different instances of the things going on in the world. You guys know who I'm talking about. The best part of the shows are when the radio phone callers, you know, the crazies, when they call the other crazies, and then the crazies are talking to each other. And uh, there was a time when I was listening that they wanted to know, is Donald Trump the Antichrist? And I'm sure all inquiring minds do want to know, is he the Antichrist? Well, um, I have good news for you. Be he, uh, he went through the evidence, and uh, the radio host did, or whatever his name is, I don't know who it is, and he goes, because his hair is orange, there doesn't appear to be any of the four horsemen in the apocalypse with orange hair, so I, I think we're good. He's not the Antichrist. And I was just like, if you were to ask that same guy four years ago, and I listened in, and he, he was asked if Obama was the Antichrist, you know what his answer was? Yes, he is. I don't know why they keep calling in if he gets it so wrong, but I don't know. The key to all of this is what's most important, which is to say the light bulb for me when I really started studying and trying to figure it out, not the Antichrist thing, but just the book of Revelation in general, and I was like, I've got to preach it i got to wrap my head around it. The key to it is this. Who is in the throne of heaven reigning over his creation? And it's Jesus Christ. And the message of the book is about faithfulness to him. It's not about opening up the newspaper and discerning the times and pinpointing who's who and when the apocalypse is uh, coming and who's going to bring about the end and what's happening in Russia or Israel or that's what all the phone callers come come in calling about Israel Islam Russia I'm not sure what Russia has to do with it and if their particular political foe is the antichrist or not it's about none of that and it's about who's seated at the right hand of God and who's worthy of all of our praise all of our glory who deserves all honor and power. And it's Jesus Christ. This book is a blessing. And when we run off on all of these side sort of things, we miss it. One of the things that totally took me by surprise after preaching through it for several weeks, several years ago, was at the end of all of it, I had a different priority on my life. Um, I really like uh, fantasy football, like 
fantasy football is was like the greatest thing. It was a thing that actually Tim and I connected on when I was in high school. Tim's like, hey, let's do fantasy football. I'm like, what's that? And then it was like, holy cow, like all the games are fun. They're all irrelevant. This is cool. And then like it totally took off. Tim and I made it cool, I think. But, uh, uh, but after the sermon series on fantasy football, I worked uh, through the series with my good friend Jason Wilson. And he and I were both in fantasy football leagues together. We both uh, always connected over the Lions, and we were in these different leagues together. And I promise this is going somewhere. Uh, that uh, we called each other. And Jason's like, I have this crazy idea, this crazy conviction. I'm like, yeah, what's that? He goes, I don't think I should play fantasy football anymore. And I was like, dude, I was just going to tell you that. Like, I don't want my Sundays to be ruined because of fantasy football. And it would, because I would spend all this time researching because I, like, I had to win. And it got bad, guys. Like, I followed the beat writers on Twitter for the local team, so I knew what was going on. It was obsession. I have these weird OCD moments. Anyways, but it it just was like, holy cow, why, why does this take such place in my life? Why does this matter so much to me? And so then, from, from then on, I was just like, I'm done with fantasy football. And it's been out of my life. And I know that that's like, wow, Jordan, your righteousness is so amazing, you know. But, uh, but for me, it was like a big thing to say, I'm done with it. I was like in two or three different leagues, and that was like part of my life. And I, as lame as all of that sounds, I just want to say to you that this book has the ability to sort of open the window of our hearts and help us to see things differently. And help us to see where our worship has been co-opted by the world. Should my Sundays be influenced by fantasy football? Should the joy of my life be rooted in whether or not I randomly guess the right people to get imaginary points so that I can feel good about myself for five minutes? Or should the foundation of my joy be what someone did on the cross for me? Should the foundation of my joy be in joining in the same spirit and breath of the angels in the worship and glory and praise and honor of the one who's due all glory? Friends, the the book of Revelation has this ability to be a blessing because it says it's going to be a blessing. It's the only book in the New Testament that says if you you read this, you'll be blessed. In Revelation 1-3 and Revelation 22-7, it's bookended by this promise that those who keep these words will be blessed. Those who hear and read these words aloud will be blessed. This book has the ability to be an incredibly rich blessing if we will allow it to speak to our hearts and help us to see what's going on inside. What's going on inside each and every one of us to see that there's ways in which we found, find ourselves a part of this world. The tension with the book of Revelation is that sometimes I forget Jesus is Lord and King and Savior. The key to the crazies uh, sort of interpretation of Revelation has been based upon who's seated in the place of enthronement in America 
and in Russia, and they read it through that lens. Friends, we're going to read it through the lens that Christ is Lord and He's King. And we're going to read it that way and we're going to trust and believe no matter what it is that we actually think. Jesus is always King. Jesus is always Lord over all of His creation despite what you and I think. His Lordship is not contingent upon my views. His Lordship is based upon God giving Him the place. Circumstances surrounding the first century Christians and the first several generations of Christians. They were marked by powerful rulers who saw themselves as gods. They were megalomaniacs in pursuit of glory. They wanted more than royal treatment. They wanted the divine treatment. They wanted everything subjugated under them. I don't know if you can imagine with me, but try, if you can, a world where the rulers of the earth seek glory and praise and raid down persecution if they don't receive it. Christians believe that the empires of the world rise and fall and that Jesus is king and his kingdom is eternal forever, always. And this is all well and good. We can say that Christ is king and we believe his kingdom to be eternal, but the kingdoms of the world are difficult to ignore. They're difficult to ignore because they deal with tangible things like news agencies, like swords, like the cross. So you can imagine for a first century Christian wandering around the vast expansive Roman Empire and witnessing over and over again evidence of oppressive rule over people. It would be difficult to ignore. What you're tasked with ignoring is the ruler over all of it over all of the empire, demanding allegiance, demanding worship. Despite what you've heard about Jesus, the Roman Empire, the rulers, their reign is very real, very much noticeable. And so the Christian is lulled to sleep and considers, why not? Why not give my religious commitment and save my own skin? Why not give my devotion? Why not compromise here or there? Revelation's great purpose is this. It's to dislodge the notion that anyone else, anything else, is worthy of your devotion and your allegiance to Jesus Christ. John pulls back the curtain of heaven to reveal to us Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, who is worthy of all praise and glory and worship in all things for all time. I've been enjoying reading an old book by the, name, uh, by the guy named George Knight. And in the book he tells us, uh, teaches that tears are the telescope into heaven. And the idea is, is that when we are saddest, when our tears are flowing, it is oftentimes when we see God's goodness and His love and His compassion. The story and the book of Revelation teaches us that God is wiping away all of our tears. That the tears that we experience will no longer be necessary. Because the promise ending of 
all of Scripture is that there is a new heaven and a new earth, and God wipes away all of our tears. We won't need tears to see heaven anymore because heaven will be with us. God will be with us and walking among us. The message is to convince us, to remind us and encourage us that amidst suffering and persecution, amidst a world that is pressuring us to give our allegiance to someone other than Jesus Christ, that God is faithful and God is good. And so we need to study this book again for one simple reason. In the last five years, we've cried again. We've had tears and heartache. We've felt lonely. We've been discouraged. We need the book of Revelation again to revive and rejuvenate our faith and remind us of God's goodness and His grace and His love. And friends, the book has been a blessing to me, not just because it got rid of fantasy football, as trivial as that might sound to you, that's really important. It's taught me to worship. It's taught me to love God, give Him glory and praise. And the surprising, startling message is over and over again, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive all glory and power and wealth and strength. The book of Revelation is rather simple. You know, we get all worked up about it. And if you get anything out of today's sermon, I hope this is it. Here's the book of Revelation in the simplest of nutshells. God wins. You pick a side. Don't be stupid. All right? If you get anything out of today's message mixed in with all of the different stories and anecdotes. Come away with that. I think we can handle that. But far more importantly, I look at this book and the blessings that are in front of us when we study it and we open up Revelation 1. Friends, for your new year, I hope you have a ravishing, vibrant vision of God. And Revelation 1 gives you the most majestic view of Christ. And I hope for 2019 that as a church we would heed the counsel of chapters 2 and 3, where we see the churches in their finest and at their worst. I hope for our 2019 we would look at the book of Revelation and see chapters 4 and 5, where we, we go looking for the lion to read, redeem and make right the world, and it turns out the one who's worthy is the lamb who's been slain. Friends, the book, the book of Revelation is about the Lamb of God and Lamb power working throughout all of creation to redeem and restore. Friends, for all of the discouragement, all the sadness, for all the things that we anticipate in the next year, there's something that Revelation can teach us about loving God, pursuing Him, staying faithful, cracking open our chests and working on our hearts to have it beat for Christ again. Friends, I hope you will find this book the blessing that it's been to me.
and the rest of the way forward, I'm not just going to talk about the blessings that have been for me. I hope that you will share with me how this book is challenging you and helping you. Share your stories. Invite God. Invite God to be number one, first and foremost in your life. That's what this book will do. And it will point out in our hearts where it's not, where Jesus doesn't reign, where Jesus takes third, fourth, fifth place. So friends, my challenge to you is simply, will you let this book be a blessing to you? Will you open it and will you read it and keep the words? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of all devotion, of all commitment, of all love, of all resources, of all of everything. It's all for Him. Let's open and read this book and be open to what the Spirit will do in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You so much. And I thank You for the challenge of Scripture. And God, for each and every one of us, we pray that You would help us to see see your goodness come alive in the pages of Revelation. God, let's not get caught up in trying to figure out who's who and get trying to think that we can decipher some code. And God, let us simply see a truthful message about Jesus being our Lord and our King and our Savior. And God, for our pride and for our arrogance, for our assimilation into the world for the persecution for the um, for everything that this book addresses in our world let it also address in the heartbeat of your of your church here in Etna Green God for 2019 to be a year that we would seek you pursue you with our whole hearts use this book to correct and rebuke and train us up in righteousness that we might faithfully follow your son Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation 22.7 Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. We are invited, friends, to keep these words, to trust and know that Jesus is Lord and King and Savior. I want to leave you with a simple blessing. May God bless you and keep you and shine His face upon you. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's stand and sing.